All right, the 2014 Winter Olympics, uh, when it comes to hockey, is finally over, and uh, a disappointing finish there for the U.S. men's team after what was such a promising start with the foreigners start before losing to Canada and then losing the bronze medal to Finland. And uh, with the NHL back on tap this week, uh, Rangers back at it Thursday night at MSG against the Blackhawks. Uh, here to talk hockey with me today is Mike Hurley of CBS Boston. Mike, how's it going today? Going all right for a, a recovering American, but it's going not, not too bad. And by recovering American, you mean uh, a pampered, entitled rich kid? Exactly. You know, that's that's that's. I was I was sad for a minute, and then I just hopped in my Maserati and just <laughs> blasted down the highway at 120. So I felt better after that. So I'm not I'm not too sad because that's how we are here in America. Well, I think the best place to start, I guess, would be with uh, Ken Campbell's column, if you want to call it a column, from the Hockey News. Uh, where he did call uh, USA's letdown against Canada um, basically a result of United States hockey players being pampered, entitled rich kids. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, he is. He kept saying to anyone that disagreed with him or thought it was the worst thing ever written, he he would tell them to read the column. And I think that was actually not a good strategy for him. It was like you're not helping the case here because all you do is say that you think Americans are whiny, pampered. Players. Like maybe maybe a lot of players are, but I, I'm not sure that had anything to do with with why they lost, why they didn't beat the Canadians, and and I don't think it. I think you left out the part where some of the Canadian players come from the exact same background. I don't think they all just walked out of the steel mills and grabbed a hockey stick and then were star players in the NHL. So uh, that was that was a pretty terrible story and a pretty hilarious response to it all around. Well, I think the best part about it is that after he finished you know, the opening paragraph by saying that about U.S. hockey players, is he starts the next one by saying both are sweeping generalizations, uh, talking about U.S. being you know, pampered and titled rich kids and the Finnish players having lion-sized hearts. So it sort of reminded me of uh, the Curb Your Enthusiasm moment where Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld are talking about people always saying, having said that, you know, leading off by you know either building up or downplaying something and then just con- instantly changing exactly what he said. So it seemed to me like... Ken Campbell didn't even believe what he wrote. You know, were just a few words after he already wrote it. Right. It was. It was. Both are broad, sweeping generalizations that you can't base a professional, professionally written column on. But I will, and here it is. So <laughs> here is exactly what I'm going to do, even though no one should ever do that. And it was, it was bad. And I mean, you, it's it's a it's a group of people that probably don't really inspire much. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of controversy when you go after and say break, make broad, sweeping generalizations about. American hockey players, but when you type any, when you, you know, typecast any sort of uh, common trait among an entire country's worth of certain people, it, it's, it's a dangerous area to go down, and I don't really know why he decided to do it, but good for him. I'm sure he is having a good time with it. <laughs> the thing I would say is that, uh, you know, people shouldn't get too worked up about it because he followed that up with a column today where he called this Canadian team the best. Uh, Canadian Olympic team ever, which you know maybe they are. I, I don't know because we can't you know have uh, Canadian teams of the past play against this team, so it's just something outlandish to say. But why do people always instantly have to feel like something is the best ever or better than the previous thing? Why can't they just accept that this Canadian team won the gold medal just like the one four years ago did? Why does it? Why do people not only in this case but everything have to be so quick to jump the gun and, and compare it to things past? It kind of reminds me of when uh, the Giants beat the Patriots for the second time in the Super Bowl, and Twitter was just a buzz with Eli Manning going to the Hall of Fame, and I was like, well, why Why does that need to be the topic right now? Because 
he has about 12 years left of accomplishments before that's even a real conversation. So I guess it does happen a lot. And uh, to say that any team is the best Canadian team is probably going to incite an entire country's worth of uh, of debate. But uh, this team to me was a thoroughly dominant but thoroughly boring defensive team that uh, I think it's it's you could make the case that they would probably beat those other teams in maybe a seven-game series, but it's kind of a stupid thing to say, too, especially uh, considering the source. Well, if you go based off of just, uh, I guess, the fact that they won the gold medal, uh, going undefeated in the tournament, uh, you know, only allowing just a few goals throughout their entire time uh, at the Olympics, then maybe, yeah, statistically, I guess they might be the best Canadian team ever. Uh, To me, you know, everyone keeps talking about how bad the U.S. looked against them and how they weren't ready for the game, how Dan Bilesma didn't make adjustments for the game. I think all those things are true, but I think a lot of people are forgetting that, you know, this team, while they lost by one goal, it would have been a lot worse if John Jonathan Quick, you know, wasn't playing out of his mind. And it also would have been a lot worse if the Canadian team had their second and third best players playing in Steven Stamkos and John Tavares. So, you know, if you take the second and third best players off Team USA, I don't even know that maybe they don't even get it into the quarterfinals you know I don't, I don't know how good they would have been so I think this Canadian team was a lot better than people expect and it wasn't so much that the U.S. team had a letdown game it's just you know they weren't really on the same level as this team right and I thought that watching them the, the they just weren't they weren't big enough and strong enough I think they had a lot of talent they had a lot of goal scorers but when you're relying on the Phil Kessels and James Van Reems likes to get it done and they're going against Ryan Getzlaff and Patrice Bergeron and Sidney Crosby and Rick Nash, it seemed like every loose puck, the, the the U.S. never had any sustained offense because they'd get one shot and there'd be a loose puck, there'd be a rebound, and a U.S. skater would go toward it and you get a stick lifted, and the puck would be going the other way because they were just weren't strong enough to compete. And I don't think uh, that that they had a line that they could send out there, sort of. And I'll use the Bruins as an example, where you have uh, the Krejci Lucci Jaginla line, which used to be the the Krejci Lucci Horton line, where it's like a line that might not be all world talent, but they have the strength and they have the skill in the middle that they can they can possess the puck for a full shift in the offensive end. And the U.S. never had that shift where they controlled the puck, where they controlled the pace, where they did what they wanted to. They were always sort of chasing and just hoping that they got a chance. And so I think the way the team was built wasn't built with that in mind, and they didn't have enough size. So I think that's what ultimately did them in the most. After watching Canada's uh, first-round games, they looked like a strong team. They looked, obviously, like a team that hadn't uh, you know, had much practice since none of the teams, um, or at least you know, U.S., Canadian-wise, didn't because all their players are from the NHL. But as the tournament went on, I mean, they dominated play against Lafayette. It was, it was a shock that Lafayette scored a goal, let alone even had a shot because the puck was in their zone the entire time. But once they got against Team USA, they sort of seemed to turn it up a notch, um, and Anytime U.S. got the puck in, in across the Canadian blue line, it was sort of like you started to get amped up that maybe they'll get a shot on them, maybe they'll get a scoring chance because they were so few and far between that, you know, the Canadian defense was just um, amazing, basically. I mean, I, I haven't seen anything like that in a while, and they did it again in the gold medal game against Sweden where you just never felt like Sweden was going to score. And for a team that everyone always wants to talk about their superstar talent and their ability to score goals, it was really their defense that carried them. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at the, the two games that they played against the U.S. and against uh, Sweden, and I'll be honest, I didn't really catch the Latvia game because I was watching the U.S. game. Uh, so I didn't see that one necessarily, but the U.S. and Sweden games, 
there really weren't any golden chances where you can look at where the defense slipped for even one second, where they let up one 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 mistake, where they where they sort of lost their structure, where they sort of lost a battle, where they got out of position, and and I think. That shows the the level of the coaching, and I think it's not surprising that Claude Julien was on that staff because he's a guy who who takes a guy like Patrice Bergeron, who you saw fly around a little bit more freely in the Olympics, and makes him play a defensive role where he could be more of a star offensively. But in that system that that he coaches, you have to play defense or else you're on the team. So I think that really shown through. And Mike Babcock, as a head coach, is just sort of a complete psychopath, and I think. He demands a certain level of effort that probably no Canadian coach has really demanded in the past. So uh, there was no doubt they just they played like a bunch of redwood trees right in the middle, and you could just you weren't getting through. I mean, Carey Price, give him all the credit; he did everything he had to, but it honestly wasn't much what he was asked to do because that defense was just out of control. I think that after Canadians fans, the people that know Carey Price the best are Bruins fans and all the you know the things that have happened between um, his him and his own fans and him and Bruins fans over the last five or so years. And just knowing that and knowing his game and knowing the way he's played in big games and in the playoffs, I wanted him in the net against Team USA. I thought it would work to their advantage. I thought you know that was going to be their downfall the entire tournament. But like you said, he never really got tested. And I think that's the biggest mistake that Team USA made is was they didn't test him enough not even just from you know inside shots because they couldn't really penetrate the slot or get in below the circles but I just don't think they threw enough pucks on that and made him work and you know he comes away this thing you know back-to-back shutouts um, of USA and Sweden and you know he looks just as good as anybody and uh, Timu Solani gets the MVP of the tournament because of you know his history in Olympic Games but it probably could have gone to Carey Price for what he did in net and uh, just statistically but really he didn't have to work for it. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, from the U.S. perspective of that, uh, it was interesting because they obviously poured in the goals against Slovakia and against Slovenia, uh, and when they scored against Russia, they they how, in the Czech Republic, how they did it was it was hard work goals. How many of their goals happened within 15 feet? You know, I can think of the Bacchus goal, Kessel going the net on the redirect, uh, Dustin Brown scoring inside the circles. It's just they scored by going to those areas, and they really. After they got those big leads in those games, they sort of tried to make the fancy plays and the pretty plays and make the highlight reel goals. I think James Van Rien's like is still out there in Sochi trying to score with the, the stick between his legs, uh, and and that they, it didn't work. They would be up six one and try and score these pretty goals because it didn't matter. It didn't work. And then against Canada, they never really. I can think of one. There was a Parise tip. Uh, I forget who sent it toward net, and he he redirected it and Price made a really nice toe save. It was probably the best save of the of the medal round. And other than that, they were, they weren't skating there. You know, they were kind of staying outside. They were losing the battles on the boards, and they were never getting in. So uh, I forget what you asked me, but that's that's how I feel. The Americans lost their uh, attack on the net because they just they got into maybe a bad habit uh, against the Czech Republic when they took the big lead to sort of try to score that the. the a pretty goal, and they never did that in the whole tournament, I don't think. Patrick Kane, uh, entering this thing, he's Team USA's best player. Uh, he, he's sort of the face of USA hockey at this point with Phil Kessel right behind him, and he missed a few breakaways uh, in the tournament, um, couldn't score a penalty shot, couldn't score in the shootout. 
uh, it seems sort of snake bitten the entire time. He had a couple chances, really the only real chances that USA had against Canada. Um, and, you know, he just couldn't get the job done. And this is a guy who has won two Stanley Cups, you know, um, born in 1988. So he's still got a long career ahead of him. And, you know, as the face of USA hockey, I expected more out of him. I, you know, I expected him to compete at the level that the top Canadian uh, stars compete at um, as a guy who might be the first, you know, U.S. born player uh, ever to, to win the scoring title in the regular season for the NHL. You just thought that he would hold, carry, you know, carry this team for at least a game or two in the tournament, and he was nowhere to be found. So, you disappointed in the way that Patrick Kane played throughout this tournament? Well, a lot of people were talking about him, and a lot of people were, you know, kind of getting on him. And then there was sort of the the response to that was that emotionally he's not in the right place because his grandfather died a week before he went to Russia. So, uh, it was it was weighing on him. But I, I thought that was a little overblown because I think with any goal scorer like that. You see, just sometimes they they go through a stretch of a week or two where they're just not finishing. And I think he played a pretty good tournament to create those chances. He was the only one really getting those breakaways, and he was the only one that that was you know when he carried the puck in the offensive end, he was pretty much typical Patrick Kane, where he's you know wheeling around the the, the wall, just doing things that you don't see anyone else do with a certain level of confidence. And I think he had it. I just think when it came down to finishing, he just was a little bit snake bitten, like you said. And I just think. Uh, it happens, and really, when you rely on one player and and he's not in, he's on he's in a bit of a funk, it's going to happen. So, uh, I, I wouldn't be disappointed in him necessarily. Obviously, it'd be better if he had put one of those breakaways or penalty shots in. But uh, I'm more disappointed in maybe the fact that Brooks Orpik was on the team than I am on Patrick Kane not finishing. Well, I think the other part is that you go into these things and you always expect the big-name guys to be the guys that step up. And you look at Canada, and Sidney Crosby didn't score his first goal of the tournament until their second goal in the gold medal game. So it's not like you know he really lit it up. Um, Drew Doughty seemed to be the guy that carried them goal-scoring-wise. Uh, but but for the U.S., you know, it does kind of suck that Kane didn't come uh, score five goals, score six goals, do something along the lines that Phil Kessel did because that would have been the difference maker. Uh, and before this tournament, I my biggest fear with Team USA was that they wouldn't score enough goals to win the gold medal. Uh, they wouldn't be able to, you know, hang with Sweden and Canada when it came to scoring goals. And once it came to, to the semifinals and the bronze medal game, they scored no goals in two full games. Yeah, well, then you're right. So... <laughs> I read that million word Burnside piece, which was uh, interesting in some respects, but uh, it, that there were a few too many cooks in the kitchen when it came to building the roster. And it, so much of it, you you don't you can't completely bash them because it's not like they sent Neil Keith and Mike Curley to the Olympics. But ninety five percent of the roster was a no brainer. You know, John Quick is the best American goalie. He's going to be playing. Uh, you know, Phil Castle is a good player. You know, Ryan McDonough is a good player. Ryan Kessler is a good player. Ryan Sue is a good player. Zach, you know, so much of the roster was a no-brainer that it came down to maybe four spots total that maybe were in question, and I don't think they hit, they nailed those. I think they missed on those. I think the Blake Wheeler had no business being in that <laughs> tournament. I think anyone, a group of people, that a group of people can think Brooks Orpik is an all-world, world-class player is insane to me. He's, he's not even a, a top three defensemen on most teams in the NHL. He's just not that player, and yet he's out there getting regular minutes and costing them, I think. I mean, how many goals did they give up in the tournament? Maybe five or six, well, up until the Finland game, five or six total, and I feel he was out there and responsible for four of them. And it's just, it was just, they, they whiffed on those small uh, number of spots that were so important that probably would have made a bigger difference than what they had. And obviously everyone wants to say, uh, 
uh, Keith Yandel or uh, on the D on D and um, Blanky Ryan, Bobby Ryan uh, up front. And it's kind of cliche to the fact that the point that everyone's saying it, but I think it's still right. I think those are players that you want. You want a big body forward who knows how knows how to score when you can't score, and you want D men who. If, if they're going to not be good defensively, they can at least create some offense because the only thing I saw Brooks Orpik do was take two cheap runs of players who weren't expecting them to come. So, <laughs> so basically uh, think, what Brooks Orpik always does. Exactly. And then someone on Finland hit him, and he threw a hissy fit. So it's it was the fact that Shero uh, and, and Bilesma had enough influence to get that guy on the team is sort of it's it's mind-blowing. And <laughs> going back to that Burnside piece, I was thinking – they spent so much time and wasted so much hot air debating the third goalie spot. And it's, it tells you where their focus was, where they were debating Ben Bishop and uh, <laughs> they were debating whether Ben Bishop had a spot on the team or whether it was Jimmy Howard. And it's like, what are you doing? That's like if it's they like spent the time. Be the better practice goalie? Yeah, it's like you might as well debate who's going to clean the locker room at night and who's going to like make sure the shower water's hot. It's just... That's what these guys spent their time debating, and it was just, it was just a whole bunch of useless debate. Uh, the fact that they let Scott Burnside in there to document all of it is kind of embarrassment to them because they had no idea uh, how disjointed it looks all the way through. When you mentioned Orpik there, and uh, when Paul Martin goes down and they have to play Justin Falk, and people are saying, you know, th- this game's going to come down to the Orpik-Falk combination making a mistake. And I don't know how you can have a defensive pairing in the Olympics as a liability in a tournament of the best players in the world. It just doesn't make sense how you have players like that on a team that could put you in a spot to lose anytime they're on the ice. Yeah, and I don't want to maybe roast Bilesma all the way. I don't think it's all on him, but I don't think he's the best coach when it comes to adjustments. I don't think he's he's someone who grasps certain parts of the games and, and adjusts them on the fly. And I think he obviously uh, has some of the most talented players in the world on his roster, and that helps him win a lot, but... I think back to the to the Bruins series last year when they got swept and they could barely score. Uh, they they had a team with so much talent and so much skill, and they were going against a team that had a, a decent amount of talent, but it didn't match them. And they 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 tried to to outmuscle the Bruins in a seven game series, and it was one of the stupidest strategies I've ever seen in my life because you very few teams are going to get enter a street fight with the Bruins and come out as a winner. And Bilesma took that team with Sidney Crosby and Malkin and tried to get into a, a brute force battle, and the result was just dominance on the other side. So I, I don't know that Bilesma is necessary. I mean, we all uh, sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say fall, fell in love with him because it's kind of weird, but watching 24-7 a few years ago, it was like, hell yeah, this guy's the best coach in the world. I want to play for him. But uh, in the past few years, I think we've sort of seen uh, some, some holes in his in his coaching game. So... Yeah, and I think he has just way too much inflated confidence in Brooks Orpik, and that's what what you saw, you know, with some of the pairings you you, you mentioned, because uh, it, it, <laughs> it was kind of between a rock and a hard place with the roster he had, but that that that's just it can't happen. And I mean, I know I know Suter ended up playing something like close to thirty minutes, but. Uh, he didn't. He didn't do the best he could have. No. When you think about building this team and building the roster, it sort of seems like you know you need to build it for a matchup against basically 
Canada, Sweden, Finland, Russia, because along with the United States, those are the teams you expect to get there, and the rest of the teams are just there to you know fill out the 12-team format that they have. And even with the Czech Republic not being what they used to be, since they continue to put out the same roster every four years, despite the players' ages, uh, you know, keep going up four years. Uh, but it seems like you know what happens in the in the first round, what happens in the quarterfinals. Uh, you know, you're not really building your team for those. You're building your team for the game we saw on Friday against Canada, the game we saw um, you know against Finland. You're building it to play against those teams and when it comes down to it you know the United States just wasn't good enough against either of those teams and when you look at what Finland did to them whether or not you know the United States emotions were in the game or whether they just wanted to get back home that Finland team you know made an embarrassment out of them and you, you can't help but think that if Tuka Rask plays for Finland against Sweden maybe they're the team that played Canada on Sunday yeah well they have the hearts of Lions and they're not pampered spoiled little <laughs> athletes so that's that's probably what the difference is there so there was that was a losing battle no matter what but uh, the, 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 the thing with the finish game is I thought, uh, you know, they were in it. I thought the U.S. was fully emotionally involved until the end of the second period when they met, they might have checked out. But if they, if I thought whatever team took the lead in a game like that, where your spirits are already almost broken and sort of afraid that if you can take an early lead, maybe you can start buying in. But if you fall behind by two, uh, it's pretty much all over. So I, I, I don't think that they, I think that, yeah, they did quit in the third period, but I think what you saw in the first two periods was Finland being better than them. And that's, uh, it's, at least the U.S. is, you know, among those world powers that you mentioned. They're in the top four or five, and they're going to be in that conversation for what looks like four years from now, should they play, and eight years from now, you'd think they'd be right up there. But uh, if they're going to be, I think it was a step back, and I think it could have been better than that. So, I think that's what it comes down to, and what really matters, it doesn't really matter that it should have been better because they just didn't do it. So uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take a step behind the, the, the Finlands and Swedens like, in, uh, like they were for quite a while, so it kind of stinks. I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. I know you are. I think NHL players should play. I think you should have the best players. They all seem to want to play in it. Um, from an NHL standpoint, they hate it because their their players are being put at risk. Their their game, their business takes a three you know a three week to a month break, um, and all the attentions on international hockey rather than NHL hockey. And now with the injuries that you know to guys like Matt Zuccarello who broke his hand as the leading scorer of the Rangers, he's going to be out a few weeks. Uh, John Tavares is now out for the rest of the season uh, with a torn MCL. Uh, you know, going forward here in four years from now when the games are in South Korea, after what's happened this year and the NHL being outspoken about not wanting their players in the past, do you think this was the last time we might have seen the NHL uh, guys play in the Olympics? Well, I, don't, I don't know, but I, I hadn't thought of this until just now as you were saying that because obviously uh, the Tavares injury is huge, and I saw Garth Snow going on a rant about uh, that it was a joke, and he was asking if the IIHF is going to refund them their money. And I was thinking back to... Uh, what, 14, 15, 16 months ago, all of these owners were happy to lock the doors to their buildings and <laughs> tell their players to go screw, leaving them to go take out their own insurance policies out of their own pocket because they wanted to play hockey in Europe. They wanted to play in the Swedish leagues and the Swiss leagues and the Czech leagues and the KHL. And these owners were like, you're not coming to work here. I don't care what you do. And they went over there, and they they backed. So you know what? The owners can take out insurance policies if they want. They can figure that out because those players had to take out insurance policies 18 months ago when they decided they wanted to stay in shape for their jobs, which they weren't allowed to go to. So I don't feel I, I feel terrible for Tavares. Obviously, that's an awful injury, but I don't feel bad for the owners. They don't they don't care about uh, player safety. They care about their profits, and they care about what 
They care about what what they get out of it. And if they don't see the obvious boost of attention, if they didn't see PJ Oshie become an instant sensation, then all they care about is their wallets, and they're not seeing what is actually important because you can think back to when you were a kid and what you remember as hockey. You remember the night that you watched the triple overtime game and hoped it was on when you woke up. And you can remember uh, watching the World Cup of Hockey in 1996 and having it be pretty much the coolest thing ever. And kids these days have that. And if you don't continue that, it's going to hurt you and you're going to take one step closer to being Major League Baseball, which I think is the worst model you'd want to be, which is the most anti-kid-friendly and therefore the most anti-new fan-friendly league there is. So the only thing I hear against South Korea is the time change. It makes it harder. But these games, I was waking up at 6.30 in the morning to watch hockey games, and it was the greatest thing. Uh, so I don't think it hurt interest. If anything, it made it a little more unique. You saw all the videos of the bars packed all around the country, people showing up at bars at 7 in the morning, which, yeah, they were probably just looking for an excuse to go to the bar in the morning, but still they were there for hockey. So I think if the owners get rid of it, it's just another slap in the face to hockey fans. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised because that seems to be the only thing that uh, the NHL tends to give to hockey fans, is slaps in the face. Well, you bring up a great point there, and with the owners and the way they treated the players in the past, and it's funny how they were so willing to lock their own doors, and then once their doors get locked for three weeks for a good reason, where their players are shown to the entire world, and the hockey is probably the biggest thing across the world for the Winter Olympics, and certainly is in this country, and you know Gary Bettman's always so quick to tell you about how the you know how the game has grown, how viewership is up, ratings are up, um, you know all the game center subscriptions are up, and this is up 120 percent and whatnot. And he he always wants to worry about the casual fan. And you know I have so many friends who are just casual fans of hockey who now know who TJ Oshie is, who now know who uh, you know the way Phil Kessel plays, who he plays for, uh, you know what Patrick Kane looks like, and that's because of the Olympics. And to me, you know. The best commercial, the best marketing tool that the NHL has is the Olympics every four years because, like you said, people are across the country getting up at 6.30, 7.30 in the morning to go wait in lines at bars to watch USA Hockey, and they're not going to be doing that when the NHL playoffs are on. And you know, In this city, and the Rangers could be in the first round in a Game 7, and they're not going to get the attention in this city that Team USA got. Um, and it's just one of those things that you're not going to get that often. And the NHL sort of you know, snuffs at the, at the idea of the Olympics and hates it, and I just don't get it because it's... It's the best thing they have going for them. A game that you know is fourth of the major sports in this country is probably never going to get higher than that. And the only chance they really have is for things like the Olympics to keep them afloat and keep them in the conversation at possibly moving up and making a move on the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL. Well, I think when they have the hearing for it, if it's a movie, they're going to send me and you, and they're just going to play this podcast, and we're going to stand there. I'll paint American flag on my chest, and we can just start chanting USA because... It's true because it, basically, if you're an owner, you want to. You might even buy into what both of us just said. But if you can't quantify it monetarily, that's how they deal, and then there's no convincing them of it. But if you if you're the NHL and you look at what just happened and you try to say that there wasn't the most positive attention nationwide that this country probably in places that in the non-traditional hockey markets too that where they don't even care about the Florida Panthers or or the Coyotes and things like that, I, I guarantee you they cared more about Team USA than they did about the, the terrible Florida Panthers this year. So uh, it's, it's, it's exactly what the league wanted when they expanded into these markets, and to say they don't want it now is just be ludicrous. 
you look at what happened to Tavares or Zuccarello or any other player that's going to miss time. Uh, that could happen at any game. That could happen in the NHL. That's what I'm saying. Like, how do you know that you know Tavares didn't avoid uh, you know tearing his ACL because there was games going on? I mean, these are freak injuries, and he'll be back and he'll play hockey next season. But I, I mean, those those could happen at any time, and and it's not like he was doing it doing something other than playing hockey. So you know, those are things that are going to happen in the NHL as well as they could happen in the Olympics. Exactly, and it's it's. It's how many guys in NFL training camps last year tore their ACLs and MCLs just in practice, just in non-contact drills or light contact or team-on-team action. It's just it's the nature of sports. Knees aren't meant to, to survive necessarily. And obviously the contact injuries, they're freak things. Those can happen at practice. Those can happen at games. And they're going to happen. And every team has them. And it's it's it doesn't make the teams that lost their players feel any better. But uh, I think more often than the Tavares one, which I think is the outlier, is you're going to have the small injuries. I mean, I think back four years ago, Bergeron came back to Boston and missed, I think, two games with some sort of, he got a groin injury at the end of the Olympics last time, so he missed two games, and I don't think anyone even remembered it, because they remember Pursuit's Bergeron winning gold, and I was there, and he got a big ovation, and everyone was happy about it, so this time, I think you have a lot of teams. I think I saw that only five teams didn't have an Olympic medalist, so you have 20-plus uh, teams around the league that are going to have a big welcoming ceremony. They're going to have a big, uh, you know, ovation for their players that went and represented their team overseas around the whole world on live TV. I think, I mean, look at the Bruins. They have a gold medalist, a silver medalist, and a bronze medalist. It's in the, in the coaching staff and then part of the executive team. It's just going to be uh, a big boost for a team that, that – wasn't making money over the past three weeks, but still has 41 home games this year. It's going to make plenty of money. So, uh, <laughs> to me, it seems a little crazy. Uh, it seemed like the tide was turning against them playing in four years. But if they do that, I don't. It's it's one of those things where it's how can hockey? How many mistakes? How many boneheaded decisions can hockey survive? And and taking the NHL players out of the Olympics, which is arguably one of the better things that happens to the NHL. Uh, that would be just added to the list. Well, it's going to be a sort of a letdown now in the coming weeks here with uh, still a while to go to the NHL playoffs and going from, you know, sort of a Game 7 mentality over the last few days with Team USA and, uh, you know, rooting for them to pull it out and, and keep advancing. Uh, going from that Game 7 mentality now to just regular season NHL hockey. And, you know, for the Bruins, they don't really have to worry about it because, they're getting in the postseason. They're going to be one of the top one, two, three seeds there. Uh, the Rangers, you know, they're still fighting for seeding in the mix. Uh, probably going to be in the bottom three again, like they always are for seeding. Uh, they've got a good schedule, you know, to sort of bring us back into things with the Blackhawks, the Flyers, and the Bruins all coming up uh, starting Thursday in three games over four days. But, you know, how much does it suck and, and how disappointing is it to go to this, you know, every shot on net could be the goal that decides your fate in the Olympics to now going back to, uh, you know, uh, we're trying to get two points tonight and sort of play out the string and wait till the middle of April when the playoffs start. Yeah, and it's sort of, uh, it's been even just this season as a whole to go from last season, which started at the end of January and was pretty much a playoff race from the get-go where every game seems so much, I mean, it was twice as important, really. Uh, to to hit this season and start to see some of the things that I kind of forgot. You kind of fell out of the habit of seeing in the 82 games. Like, you see some players just, just slack off for two weeks and not try. You see some players just play awful and make some of the worst decisions you've ever seen. And, you know, maybe this Olympic break where a lot of players played in those games, maybe that sort of has some carryover and carries right through to the playoffs because maybe it'll help. Because I think, uh, I know the Bruins in particular – 
they 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 said a deadline at the end of the Olympic break, like let let's play like that's the end of our season. And they played the I think they got something like seventeen out of twenty two possible points in their last level eleven games. They went nuts. So they didn't really uh slack off at the end. But I mean Ottawa came to Boston for their last game before the Olympics and it was the most pathetic display <laughs> of 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 hockey. I remember they just it was terrible. Well, that, uh, well actually like a, I'd say the display that the Panthers had a few weeks before against the Bruins was even worse. That was actually yeah, that was terrible. So I think you had a lot of teams that sort of saw their spring break coming up and sort of just fell off. And maybe those teams that are maybe in spots six through ten, uh or however the new playoff system works, because honestly it's kind of stupid. But uh, you know, those those people at the bottom of the standings and those people fighting for the wild card spots uh, maybe this serves as a little bit of a wake-up when they get a guy back, when they get a Henrik, Lund- Henrik Lundqvist back or a Ryan McDonough. It seemed like to enter a team that, that needs a push, uh, that, they, that they've had those playoff games. Maybe it, it makes the hockey a little bit better. I don't think, I don't think it can hurt. I don't think they're going to come back and sort of light off the gas pedal. I think it's going to, I think it's going to wake them up a little bit. All right, Mike. Well, the next time we talk Olympic hockey, uh, you know, we'll both be in our thirties, which is kind of depressing, <laughs> but you know, oh, hopefully, Gary, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hopefully Gary Bettman, uh, you know, listens to the rest of the world and not just his, uh, his people and his staff people at the NHL who seem to get every decision wrong. And hopefully in four more years, we get, we get the same sort of uh, tournament that we got this year, because, you know, to me, USA didn't get to get as far as they did last time, but the tournament was just as good as it was two, four years ago. Yeah. I think if you, you, you don't work, you don't, you know, you're in the city, maybe you can head down to the NHL headquarters <laughs> and just play this podcast through a little, uh, megaphone and just make sure Gary hears it. Cause I'm sure he'd, he'd care what we have to say as fans. <laughs> All right, Mike, thanks again. Yeah.